Hi, anyone and everyone. Welcome to Have You Heard About This Case. My name is Sam. And my name is Kelly. Today, we're going to be talking about a case that, again, hits close to home for me. But before we get into this case, Kelly, what's our question today? So my question today is, what is, like, your favorite book of all time? And do you read much true crime? Ooh, good question. So it kind of depends on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of have, I think, three that I rotate through that I really love. Um, one of them's The Shining, mm. Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And then I love Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis. And I really love Storyteller by Dave Grohl. Oh, that book was awesome. Oh, it's so good. I highly recommend it for anybody. He's such an incredible incredible writer i agree um, yeah, I those f- are kind of my three like if i'm just in any sort of mood one of those three will always make it better <laughs> and to transition into our case for today do you do you read much true crime i i haven't i i want to get more into true crime um i'm an audiobook person mm-hmm. and just because like i'm always doing something and i'm, I'm lucky enough to listen to books at work Right. And I've discovered that there's not a huge selection of true crime books that come in the audio version. That's a bummer. Because, yeah, I do read most of my true crime as, a, like, hardback regular books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get you loaned me um, that John Bonet Ramsey book. I don't yes. remember what it's called. Um, yes. It's, oh, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. I'll say it's it's in the other room. Otherwise, I would just grab it really quick. Um, we, oh, and I'm I loving reading it. It's called We Have Your Daughter. Called? It's called We Have we, Your yes, Daughter. Yes, that's right. We Have Your Daughter. It's mm-hmm. absolutely fascinating. But you loaned that to me like a year ago. And I just, I don't have the time to sit and read. And it's a massive book. No, I completely understand. It's quite extensive. And also, I know tons of people who read ebooks who listen to audiobooks like it's all reading to me so it, i love an audiobook i can listen to an audiobook in a day maybe yes, two days it's a bummer they don't have more to your crime on there you do not know how badly i want that we have your daughter book in an mm-hmm. audiobook because mm-hmm. i'd be done with it i would have been done with it a very long time ago because it's, it's fascinating it is. I'm just not in a position to like sit down and read frequently. No, no, you have a very busy, hectic job. You need the audiobook. Yeah, and I, I love audiobooks. I, I think I'm listening to like my sixth or seventh in the last like three weeks. Wow. <laughs> so I've just been getting like cycling through them at work. Well, I understand. I'm in a bit of a book slump because I have had trouble just sitting down and focusing on reading right now. Lots of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that just makes it so difficult to feel like what you're doing, sitting down, attempting to read is worth your time. Exactly. And I fully believe that all of us who read, it's totally worth our time. It's just something that lately I have not been able to pull myself out of. And I know I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, you, you've told me before that you've go through like cycles 
Yeah, I do. Like, sometimes I'm reading one, sometimes I'm reading five books at once, and then getting nothing finished. And that's kind of where <laughs> I am right now. That's how my sister Ash is. She, she, well, she, every single night before going to bed, she has her Kindle out and she's reading. Like, she doesn't go to bed without her Kindle. I understand. But she can read, like, five books at the same time constantly. I don't know how she keeps her brain straight doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But what's your favorite book? Okay, my favorite fiction book is actually a few years old. It's called All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. It's an incredible book. As far as nonfiction... Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. It's a good one. And my favorite nonfiction book is almost like you said, it's hard because I've read so many of them. But I have to say up there is The Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher, who is one of my icons. She is fantastic and also a fantastic writer. And yeah, one you've of told her, me about that book before. Yes, you guys, y'all, she released her diaries from when she was 19 years old on the set of Star Wars and having this just rapturous entanglement with Harrison Ford. And you couldn't pay me enough to release my diaries from when I was 19. She is an <laughs> icon. Yeah, that sounds great. I should check those out. You, you've told me about that before, and it's always one of those things where I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then by the time I remember to look it up, or just have a chance to look it up, I don't remember the book. But also, that Storyteller is a nonfiction book, and I also, again, would say that's oh, so up good. there. That's up there with amazing books, because Sam is right. He's just a great storyteller. You can tell he's been a lyricist and telling stories for quite some time incredible well and his dad was a speech writer and so mm -hmm. you can you can very much tell that comes into his writing mm -hmm. and also i'll just add his mom's book from cradle mm -hmm. to stage another um, good by one. virginia grawl so good she interviews mothers of famous musicians and just asks about how they nurtured their children to become a musician and, and how they helped them in that journey. Um, and it's, it's so good. Every chapter is a new mother. Mm -hmm. It's very good. But we should get into today's case. I, right. I have given you the warning um, ahead of time <laughs> that you're not going to be a happy person at the end of this one. Oh, um, no. You're, you're going to get pretty heated. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah, you're, you're, we're going to have some, some strong thoughts on this one, but hopefully it will create good conversation. And I'll tell you right now, there has been someone who's been arrested for this. Okay. Um, so you'll at least have that comfort coming yes. towards the end of this. Okay. But this takes this case takes place at the Wisconsin-Michigan border. So again, this is very much hits home for me growing mm -hmm. up in northern Wisconsin. Yeah. And one thing that truly surprises me about this case is that I actually never heard of it until years later. Mm -hmm. Which it just it, it truly blows my mind, especially when you hear these details. Mm -hmm. it, I'm I'm surprised this wasn't massive news across the country at mm -hmm. this point. 
but I actually heard about it because I knew somebody in college who was friends with one of the victims. Oh no. And I'm not going to say her name. Um, her and I are not in touch. It's, it's been a long time since we've been in college and I don't have her permission. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm just going to keep those details very, very sparse. Fair enough. Uh, yes, but absolutely. W- w- we, w- we took a speech class together in college and in her speech, she just talked about how this affected her, her life. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into more detail than just that since I don't have that permission, but I've thought about her speech many, many times over the years. Um, and it really stuck with me. Okay. So today we'll be talking about the East Kingsford train bridge murders. And this took place on January 31st in 2008. Oh, wow. And I'm, that's current. I'm, I'm surprised I haven't heard anything about this. Exactly. I'm, I'm blown away that I, I like, this was kind of a, closer to green bay area so it was it was still certainly northern wisconsin but not as far north as where i had lived um and i i wasn't on the east side of the state mm-hmm. but still like this is this is a small community yeah and it has a lot of similarities to where i grew up so i was blown away that i never heard about this and in addition all of our victims today are teenagers exactly the same age i was yeah at this time in 2008 yeah 2008 i'm like i was for sure conscious and a teenager by then yeah i was i was 18 at this point um and that that's definitely along the same ages as our victims and our three victims that we will be talking about today um tiffany paulson tony spigarelli and Brian Mort. And this was really just a, a very, very typical day in the Northwoods. These three teenagers, along with a handful of other friends, went down to pull down over at the river, have some summer fun. And I can tell you from my experience as a teenager in northern Wisconsin, you spend so much time on the water. Yeah, yeah. There, there's not much else to do. But there's so many lakes and rivers that that's just kind of the place to be. Yeah, I know that's I grew up in a in a similar kind of lake town and that's that's where it was. That's where you went. Like it's summertime. Let's head to the banks of Lake Erie. (laughs) Take a dip. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many things to do on the water. Like we used to go skiing and wakeboarding a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister was very, very into to wakeboarding for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just like camping and sunbathing and just literally hanging out, putting your feet off the end of a dock. Oh, was, yeah. Was something that we did very frequently. Oh, yeah. That's a Lake Town summer. Exactly. Um. But before we really dive into what happened on July 31st, I do want to talk about our victims. Um, Unfortunately, because this was 2008 and social media was kind of in its infancy, it was really hard to find information that was just beyond a short news clip or just an article. 
And so the majority of what I found came from obituaries. But unfortunately, as, as you know, obituaries are typically fairly short. Correct. Yeah. So I, I wish I had more. I would love to, to be able to talk about their personalities more. But it was just, it was very hard to find even just what I have now. Okay. Well, I mean, that's more than nothing. We've encountered cases before where we could even find obituaries. So exactly. To, yeah. I look forward to hearing. It. So we'll start with Tiffany. She was born on April 4th, 1991 in Norway, Michigan. Oh my goodness. And this is I'm, all up in the I'm, UP. It's almost your birthday. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's just, she's so close in age to me. That's awful. Yeah, just about Sorry. a month younger than you. Yeah, it just struck me that I was like, this poor child. Sorry, go on. No, it, you're right. It, it, it's so incredibly unfortunate. And in her obituary, it says that she very much loved her family. She spent as much time with them as she could. And that she, no matter what, she would always end a conversation and leave with a big hug and saying, I love you. And it seems like that that was always how she would leave. That's so sad and lovely. That's exactly how I try to end things on any occasion, especially with my family. Yeah, and I'm not entirely sure what her career goals were. But one thing that was really specifically called out within her obituary was how much she really loved to babysit. So I kind of just have the feeling that maybe she wanted to work with kids when she got older. I agree. It gives me that vibe that she was caring enough that she may have been able to work with a lot of children and teach them a lot of stuff. God, how awful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then in Tony's obituary, there's a little bit more information. Um, but he was born on October 5th. 1989 in Iron Mountain, Michigan. And he had just graduated from high school the month before he was murdered. And he was planning on attending Beidunak College in the fall for engineering. And during the summer, he would like to work with his family business, Spigarelli Excavating. And he was, he was also incredibly close to his family. Um, Tony, his sister, and two of their cousins were referred to as the four musketeers when they were kids because they were all best friends. Oh, mercy. That is... I'm sorry. It's a tough one, y'all. That's the four musketeers. Right. That's just adorable. And And, having a relationship with siblings and cousins is so important. And, and I, in just, my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And just that, to know that he was the month before he had just graduated. Didn't even get it. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then um, our last victim, Brian, was born on May 17th, 1989 in Redcliffe, California. And I, I'm not entirely sure when he moved to Iron Mountain, Michigan. Um. I'm assuming teenage years, because they did mention while he was in California, he took part in a BMX racing team and that he also raced motorcycles. So I would assume teenager at that point, 
Yeah. Uh, but he, he loved sports. He particularly loved football, basketball, wrestling, and baseball. And he graduated from Kingsford High School in Kingsford, Michigan, with an honor scholarship and was scheduled to start college within a month of his murder at the University of Northwest Ohio. And similarly, he was very close to his family, and he had actually three nieces and three nephews that he really loved spending time with. Um, And so it sounds like he was a really great uncle. Yeah. And in his obituary, it also noted his love for his dog, who he named Callie, who was a red-nosed pit bull. And oh, I looked so up fun. just like pictures of red nosed pit bulls, and they're so cute. This is all of them. All of them just seem so relatable and tragic. Just somebody's favorite uncle Brian, and a exactly. man who loved his dog. And to hear what we're about to hear is so sad. Oh yeah, you. I know that you don't know anything that's coming up. <laughs> I don't. It, it'll be rough. I'll I'll give you the warning. That's okay. So now let's get into the events of July 31st, 2008. And many of the details that I have come from a blog that was written by a woman who goes by Ash. Um, She was friends with Katrina Coates. And Katrina was at the river that day with Tiffany and Tony and another one of their friends, Derek. So a lot of what we have is from her first person account and it, she goes into a lot more detail than a lot of the articles, which really kind of give basic bullet points and end Mm -hmm. up mainly focusing on our suspect. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of information on him and you'll see why that they focus on the suspect in these articles. Um, I just wish there was more focus on the victims. Okay. Yeah. So that day, Katrina and Tiffany were hanging out shopping when they ran into Tony. He had recently gotten a new Mustang and he was showing it off to all of his friends. <laughs> he, was, he was very excited about it. Oh. And he asked the girls what they were doing later and asked if they wanted to join him and their friend, and Tony's friend, Derek, who neither Katrina or Tiffany had met at this point. But he offered to hang out at the river and go swimming. So Katrina and Tiffany agreed. They thought that sounded like fun. And later that afternoon, they all met up at the Menominee River. And the river is the dividing line between Wisconsin and Michigan. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, and that's like one side of the river bank is Michigan. The other side is Wisconsin. Okay. So they all, they're all hanging out on the Michigan side, but they really wanted to head across the river to the Wisconsin side because there's this large rock that hangs over the river that you can jump oh. off of into the river. Oh, okay. And so they really wanted to, to jump off the rock. It's about 25 feet above the water. So it's, it's a good height, but it's not like an insanely dangerous height at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there, there was a couple ways to get across the water. There's this big trestle bridge in the area called Kingsford Train Bridge. And Kelly, I know that you're familiar with the Delphi case. 
Mm-hmm. It's a very similar bridge as okay. in the Delphi case. Um, I think it's it's in a better condition. Um, okay. The one in Delphi was you weren't supposed to cross that one, and it was mm-hmm. it was kind of difficult to walk. There was a lot of boards missing. Um, this one I think was still an operating bridge. It just wasn't used for a train anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's. <laughs> So they they decided that they actually didn't want to cross over this bridge because at this point, like, their goal is to go swimming. They're in their bathing suits. They took off their shoes, everything. Okay, yeah. Then they were worried that it, they'd get splinters or something crossing this bridge. So they decided to swim across. Okay. And... So they get across to the Wisconsin side and they start climbing up the banks of the river and climbing up this big hill that leads to this rock. And they were kind of walking in groups of two, Derek and Tony in front and Katrina and Tiffany behind them. And as they were getting close up to this rock, they saw a man dressed fully in camo kind of jump out of the woods and he opened fire on them from 20 feet away. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, t- 20 Tony feet. was shot first. 20 feet. Like, he was fully hidden in yeah. the woods. And fully intentional. You're only 20 feet away. Wow. Mm-hmm. He shot Tony first in his forehead, instantly killing him. And in shock... The other three had a moment just kind of stunned and frozen where they saw Tony's body rolling down the hill. They were just climbing up. Oh, and it's like, I, you can't, I can't even imagine no. being in that position. Like you're, you're just there to go have fun and swim. Right. And that's it. I can't imagine that. Just seeing the body of your friend rolling down a hill. Oh, Exactly. Um, so after that brief moment, they just started to run as fast as they could. And Tiffany and Katrina are holding hands, just trying to get away. Um, but they only got about 15 feet before Tiffany was shot in the back of the head. Oh, God. Uh, so poor two Katrina, girls. Oh, I know. Katrina felt her fall and and lost grip of her hand and when she looked back she understood very quickly that there was no helping tiffany and so she she had to make a split second decision where she kept running Uh she eventually was able to catch up to Derek, and they both just ran together as fast as they could and remember they're just in their bathing suits Oh, no. So they're running through the woods. and They're not on a trail at this point. They're just running. And so their legs and feet are just getting completely cut up with basically every step that they take. And as they're running, they're hearing more gunshots. And they're Mm -hmm. actually seeing bullets hit trees around them and explode the bark on them. And they they just know that they have to keep going. Oh, my God. They ran for about two miles, just straight through about two miles before they took a brief moment to stop. 
And at this point, Katrina just, she wanted to be done. She wanted to find a place to hide and just lay low. Yeah. Um, but Derek convinced her to keep going. He didn't feel like that was a good idea. He was still worried that this person was behind them. Mm-hmm. And so he convinced her to keep going. And he told her that he would, he refuses to leave her behind, mm-hmm. which kind of helped get, got her back up so that they could try to find good shelter. Mm-hmm. And they came across this old shack and they debated checking it out to see if it could be a good hiding spot. But they eventually decided just to keep going because they, they ideally want a phone at this right. point. Yeah. They, yeah. I'm not sure if they didn't have phones because this is 2008. Good possibility. Well, they didn't have cell phones. And they're going to the beach, so everybody might have left their phones behind. Exactly. And if they had their phones, there's a very good possibility there'd be no cell signal. Oh, yeah. Cell signal was very spotty in Uh northern Wisconsin and and the UP at this point. Because cell phones weren't super, super common. Um, Like, my family, we each had cell phones, but it was, like, we could only use them, like, half the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they decide to go past the shack and they came across a house. As, as they got a little bit closer to it, they realized that there were no cars in the driveway. So they assumed that nobody would be home. Mm-hmm. And again, they had to make a decision. Try to get inside or keep going. Right. And... Right they again made the decision to keep going. They wanted some reassurance that they could get into a house and sure. actually be able to make these calls. Yes. And someone would be there. Exactly. So they come across now a second house and this is about three and a half miles away from where the shooting happened. So they really just ran. Right. Got as far away as they could. Exactly. Um, and so they come up to this the second house. They see a car in the driveway. That's a great sign. Mm-hmm. They go up to the door and Derek starts to knock kind of politely. And um, in this interview that Katrina does, she kind of makes a joke where she's just like, I just barged in. Like, <laughs> no knocking. Just just go. Right, right. And she also makes a joke saying like, oh, if she couldn't get into the house, she would have just stolen their car. <laughs> And, and the interviewer is like, well, do you know how to hotwire? Like, uh, she she made another, she, like, she kind of elaborated a little bit in that joke, saying that this is northern Michigan. Everyone leaves their cars in their ignition, like, use, leaves their keys in the ignition of their car. Mm-hmm. Like, no one locks the door. And I can tell you, like, that's basically true. <laughs> like, I think things have changed in recent years with the interest in true crime. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, she's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they did get into the house. Yeah. And it was owned by a couple who were in their 60s or 70s. Um, we don't have their names. But um, Katrina says that the husband was in the living room reading the paper while his wife was making spaghetti in the kitchen. And imagine being this couple and having these two yeah. kids just literally barge in your door in bathing suits. Uh, yeah. Freaking out. 
like losing, like exactly. telling you they're in danger. Well, Katrina immediately, when she got in, started locking the doors, checking the windows, closing oh. the blinds, um, not really saying anything. She she said that even if this couple start was trying to talk to her, she doesn't remember hearing it. She was just in this panicked zone trying to secure the building. Right, right, right. Um, so she grabbed the phone and she also, the, the next decision she made was to call her mom before calling police. Okay. And she talks about it as it's like she just really needed that comfort to get herself on a slightly calmer level. Uh-huh. Um, which I understand. Um, yeah. she, she's, she's a kid herself. She, yeah. She's the same age as Tiffany and yeah. they're about to enter their senior year of high school. Like she's yeah. very young. Yeah. And while she's on the phone with her mom, which it sounds like it was a very short call, um, mm-hmm. So it's not like she was like necessarily wasting time before contacting 911. It was, it was very short. She basically just mm-hmm. told her mom that um, her friends were shot and that she's scared and she mm-hmm. wants her mom to come and yeah. find her. She didn't know where she was. Um, oh, gosh. She just said that she crossed the river and she was running and she ended up at this house. Um. But while she's on the phone with her mom, the woman, um, the, the wife from this house, start, grabbed a washcloth with warm water and started to try to help clean the blood off her legs and clean her wounds. Um, so then they, they call the police and the police advises them to get into the basement, not open the door for anyone. Um, so that when the police got there, what they actually did was they just broke down the door of this house so that there was no risk of them coming up to whoever was shooting at them before. Yeah. And this sounds like it, like, obviously all of this is incredibly traumatic for Katrina. Yeah. But this was also particularly traumatic because this SWAT team's coming in with the rifles. Oh, God. she was just shot at with a rifle. Um, so she, yeah. she takes note in, in this interview saying that, like, this this was very terrifying to have the police come in in this way. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I understand why the police did that in that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Because they're like, it, there's an imminent threat, and we don't know if this person has followed them. And we also don't have the 911 data for them to to hear her say, like, he's following me, he's after me. So, who knows? He, they might have exactly. come in. Yeah, they may have come in and found him torturing them, or who knows what. Well, and you don't want to put her or anyone else in this position of opening the door yes. for him on accident. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, so I kind of want to jump back a little bit um, and back to the river. Mm-hmm. So as Katrina and Derek are running away and the shots are being fired, still in the direction, um, this man who is shooting at them kind of realizes, like, they're they're gone. Um, so uh-huh. he actually starts to target another group of swimmers. 
who are teenagers oh who are just a little bit farther down the river. And this is when he murders no. Brian Mort. No. Um, he uh. shot and killed him. He shot twice um, and hit him in the head and the chest. Oh. And then another one of his friends was also shot, Daniel Gordon. Um, and all of his, all of the, the newspapers that mention Daniel Gordon mm-hmm. report his injuries as minor. So I'm assuming this is more of a graze wound. Mm-hmm. Um, he did survive. There just isn't oh. much information about him. I, which I understand he may just want to keep private and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. just cause there are basically no specifics that I found. Yeah. Yeah. And similarly, I have very few details about Brian's murder Mm -hmm. and what he was doing that day prior to the river. Mm -hmm. Um, So, unfortunately, all we really know is he was hanging out with a handful of friends, swimming at that point. Probably doing the same exact thing we have mentioned before, like as Lake Town kids. You know, you're just enjoying the beach. Maybe you got a pool floaty. Maybe you got, you know, an umbrella and you're just trying to enjoy the local area and this happens oh yeah i can't imagine like as i was no. saying earlier i spent so much time on the water like i was yeah, in positions just like this so many times as a kid mm-hmm. and i just can't imagine climbing up the riverbank and seeing a man jump out of the woods in full camo with a rifle yeah yeah i can't imagine oh so at this point, the police arrive and the shooter is, is gone. Mm-hmm. So it, it turns into a manhunt. Roadblocks were put up and police actually took a step of evacuating all of the homes that were in this general area. Wow. Um, yeah. And usually I feel like I, I hear this sort of thing and it's like you're not allowed to leave your homes. I kind of mm-hmm. think of like... I feel like most people have heard about the Boston bombing, mm-hmm. the, the marathon bombing. And yes, that was yes. like full on lockdown. And I feel like that's a little more common than evacuating. Mm-hmm. So I, I found that a little bit interesting. Yeah. One time when there was, a, there was a murder um, that happened uh, in a neighborhood close to where my parents were. And they had, um, they had basically cordoned off the whole street and they had done exactly what you mentioned to tell everyone, do not leave your homes. Yeah. I feel like that's just what you, you hear more frequently. Uh, but I'll tell but you in this case, case it doesn't yeah. really matter. Like he wasn't in those homes. We'll get to where mm-hmm. he was, but. Okay. Sorry. Um, go on. It doesn't. No, no, no. You're fine. Uh, it just, it, it. Either one wouldn't have benefited them in this specific case. But at this point, Katrina's mom is trying to get to her. Oh. She she knows that she's in this general area and she's just right. trying to find her daughter who, who called her out mm-hmm. of sheer panic. Right, right. But she unfortunately couldn't get to her because of these roadblocks. Oh, God, that poor woman. So she was just kind of, like, waiting and trying to get through. But also, because 
there was just like no confirmation of anything at this point. They didn't really know what was happening. They didn't specifically know that Katrina is a victim in all of this. Mm-hmm. They just, I, I think that they didn't really know names and like the fact that she was her, really her mother and just, oh, everything wow, happened yeah. so fast. Yeah, yeah. So the police really wanted to get as much information from Katrina and Derek as they possibly could. And it became apparent pretty quickly that Tiffany and Tony's murders were done at a very close range. Mm -hmm. And them knowing that Katrina and Derek were with Tiffany and Tony, they became very important to get the details and try to figure out who did this. Yeah. So they, they wanted to separate the two of them. But Katrina absolutely refused. She she really needed that comfort of Derek yeah. by her side, which I, I totally understand. Yeah. But I also I understand too. wanting to separate them. Yeah, I, I understand the like the standard procedure, of course. But uh, it sounds I mean, they're very young and they've just been through something very traumatic. I wouldn't probably mm-hmm. choose to leave that person's side either. I Exactly. So around midnight that night, the police showed the two of them a photo from 1989 of a man named Scott Johnson. And immediately Katrina knew that this was the man who shot her best friend. So a handful of hours later, at this point, her mom is able to arrive. And it's 5 a.m. Oh, gosh. Well, thank, okay, the mom got there, thank goodness. But also, it, just the trauma of having to be like, yes, that man shot my best friend. Like, mm. my heart hurts. And they, they were holding hands, you know? Like, the, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Go and on. also, um, Tony was Katrina's first boyfriend as well. So they, at this oh. point, they were just good friends. Um, oh. But... This man had shot her best friend and her first boyfriend, and I—I I can't even imagine. No, that's terrible. Anything that Katrina has gone through. Yeah. Uh, but her mom arrives at five a.m., mm-hmm. and she was able to go home fairly quickly okay. after that. Good. Um, but then by seven thirty a.m., they got the news that Scott Johnson had surrendered. And oh. come out of the woods. Oh, he was still in the woods. Oh, yeah, because he went he was back and attacked. Still in the woods. So he was thinking about who knows what he was thinking. Maybe thinking about attacking someone again. Oh, I'll get there. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, that's what you're going to get angry about. Okay, here we go. So let's get a little bit of background on Scott Johnson because none of this is going to make sense. Like, I will okay. tell you that right now. But. Maybe you can get the littlest tiny bit of insight from his background. Yeah. He was born and raised in Iron Mountain, Michigan. And he graduated Kingsford High School in 1989. So the the photo that they showed Katrina was actually his yearbook photo from 1989. Oh, wow. And it sounds like around this time is when Johnson himself believes that his own life started to go downhill. Mm-hmm. He was in his senior year of high school when he cheated on his girlfriend and in turn, she broke up with him. Mm-hmm. Well, 
You don't want no scrubs. Yeah, like cause and effect. Yes, exactly. Um, Your actions, their consequences. But according to him, she was truly the love of his life, and he was incredibly devastated when they broke up. And mm. and my tip, uh, don't cheat. Mm. So. Yeah. She was the love of your life, <laughs> like, pal. Well. And he actually says that the guilt of him cheating still weighs on him. Okay, well, like... <laughs> Yeah. I don't care, Scott. I don't care. <laughs> I don't I don't give a Coca-Cola's flat end that you feel bad about that. Suck up. Yeah. It, oh, just wait, just wait. Okay, we, we okay. Got, we still got a long way to go. Oh no. <laughs> so ten days after graduating high school, he joined the army. And while in the army, he met a woman who he ended up marrying and by 1991. And mm -hmm. at this point, when they're getting married, she is pregnant with their second child. Okay. After the army, they lived in Louisiana. And he describes their marriage as loveless. Wow. And his now, his, now his ex-wife describes yeah. it as abusive. Okay. Those, yeah. Yep. That tracks. So there, in 1999, the two of them had a really big fight. Johnson had left his daughter alone in the backyard. And he and his wife came home and just was incredibly upset about this. Yeah. Young child left alone. Yes. <laughs> That's upsetting. During this. Yeah. Like, understandably, she's upset. Yeah. And during this fight, he took their family cat and threw it against the wall. <gasps> I will okay. say the article made it very clear that the cat was okay after this. It was knocked out. It, it did not die. It <sighs> The cat was okay. I, okay, I well, good. need to point that out. Okay, but also um, please reference our, uh, our episode on ancient Egypt in which one of the questions for you to enter the afterlife is your relationship with the animals on this earth. And that mm -hmm. just told me something. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Johnson's wife goes outside to get their daughter that he left alone. <sighs> and when she comes back inside, he is pointing a rifle at her face saying, look at what you made me do. Oh, my God. Wait, wait, wait. He's pointing the rifle at his wife or at his child? Well, she came in with the child so i'm assuming oh, both it wasn't both clear in the article wow um, okay sorry yeah no good point like that's wow. he she came in from outside both with their child them. and he has a yeah. rifle pointed yeah saying so look at what you made me do right and she's probably most likely holding this child so yeah you're pointing it in the face of your wife and young child who you left alone in the backyard and whose cat you can cuss. What is the matter with you? Yep. So, understandably, at this point, his wife took their kids and moved out of state and filed for a divorce. Yes, ma'am. So, between this and between his high school girlfriend who broke up with him after he cheated on her, it really seems like he just blames all of his issues and mistakes on other people. Yeah. 
You're right it's about just, like, that. Something that they did is mm-hmm. what like the look at what you made me do. Yeah, you did that. You are the one who left your child outside. You are the one who abused your pet and then pointed a gun at your wife and child. Like that's you. Yeah, you're and not so her. not so not only are you abusing this pet, you are abusing your wife and young child because that aiming a gun at them is abuse. And mm-hmm. she's right when she characterized their relationship as abusive. Oh, absolutely. So, a couple years after this, in 2001, he decides to get a little petty with his ex-wife. Oh, my God. He stopped working so that he couldn't pay child support. Okay. So, I said scrub before, and I say scrub again. I'm sticking with it. What a scrub. So, all of this information so far about... Johnson came from an article in the Detroit News where they exchanged letters for, I believe, a handful of years after the murders. And the way he talks about all of this, really, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't want it to make sense because I don't want to be in his mind. (laughs) But he talks about purposely not working so he doesn't have to pay his ex-wife child support But then in the next sentence, he follows it up by saying he was devastated being away from his kids. You're hurting your children by not paying your wife child support. I I don't have much to add to that, but besides what you just said, you got to be kidding me, buddy. Yeah, (laughs) like it's just we're not done yet. There's more. Your but. children deserve, your children deserve that money and you don't care because you want to spite the woman who you pointed a gun in their face. Get out mm-hmm. of here. Yeah. So in 2001, this is when he, he's deciding not to have a job. He moves back to Michigan to live with his mom. And this, he says, was an exceptionally bad time for him. In the letters he wrote to the, the Detroit News, he said, I wasn't living anymore, just existing. I lived in limbo. I had no real identity. My life ceased to having a purpose. Okay. And I, I don't have much to say to that other than there's a lot of mistakes that happened along the way to get you to this point. Exactly. My only answer to that is, okay, <laughs> I bet it. Yeah, I bet he, it doesn't. He, I bet it doesn't have a purpose because it doesn't. You right? suck. Yeah. And like, I'm also, I'm the type of person where it's like, if you are capable and they're willing to help, I have, like, if you end up having to move back in with your parents for a short bit as an adult, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Because sometimes you just need a little bit of help getting back on your feet. Yeah, me neither. I don't think I, this is how he looked at it. Oh, Okay. I think he just looked at it as like he had nothing else. He lost everything. So now he's forced to move back in with his mom. Like, okay. My life is awful type of attitude. Okay. And in these letters, he also mentioned that the area along the Menominee River and the Kingsford train bridge was kind of a safe space for him. He felt very comfortable in this area. 
And he actually ended up stashing some belongings there. He put some clothes, sleeping bags, first aid kits, and weapons that he just stashed in the woods. What? And all the congregation said, what is wrong with this man? Yeah. So now let's get to the day before the murders. He's out riding bikes with one of his friends, not too far from this general area, which is also very close to where the shootings happened. Mm -hmm. During this bike ride, he sexually assaults his friend. What? Yeah. Yeah. Just, he he just chose to do this. Um, We don't really know any specific details, but to me, this seems like an ex- escalation. Uh, I would agree with you, Sam. I think that is an yeah. escalation. Like, we, we don't really know spe- a lot of the specifics that happened between him and his wife. Mm-hmm. It is possible there was sexual assault involved in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't see that reported anywhere. Yeah. Or he just took his frustrated, angry emotions on not getting what he wants into escalating to hurting people. Which oh, he absolutely it. blames this on that limbo mindset that he mentioned. Okay. okay. Um, so, right. Um, this woman that he assaulted told her mother and her mother encouraged her to report it to the police. Yeah. So this point, Johnson knows he's in real trouble here. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he previously did have warrants for not paying his child support and writing fraudulent checks. But now this is a crime of physical violence. So he, he knows that like he's right. in real trouble now. Yeah, he's well aware. And he says, I don't know if I fully trust this, but he mm. says that he actually made the choice to turn himself in for this assault. And he was walking over to the police station when he changed his mind. Oh, okay. Big of you. You were going to do it and then didn't do it. That's not doing it. (laughs) Yeah. So he says he was like a couple blocks from the police station when he decided to go back into the woods where he changed into those clothes that he stashed, which happened to be all camel. (sighs) And he retrieved his rifle and bullets that he also stashed out in the woods. And his plan, supposedly, was to basically sit up on the top of this hill, on the top of the banks of this river, and just start shooting. Wow. Yeah. But this is when Tiffany, Tony, Katrina, and Derek were climbing up that hill to reach that rock. And I'm under the assumption that he didn't really expect that. I think he wanted to have distance mm-hmm. and that's when he jumped out of the woods at them wow yeah so then Katrina and Derek run um, and he at this point he started to shoot these other teenagers which were about 70 yards away Wow. which is another reason why I think he just he wanted the distance and right. he kind of got startled right by, that was by his plan 
Yeah, he had a plan. He's like, I'm so mad at everybody else, and it's everybody else's fault that I'm going to do this. And then he gets surprised with, like, close-range people. Mm-hmm. And so, shooting 70 yards away, this is when he, he kills Brian Mort. And he said that he would have continued firing shots, but his gun kept jamming. Wow. Wow. Like, he makes that very clear. Huh. But he would have just kept going. Oh, my God. In total, he fired 17 shots, killing three people. So with this whole manhunt and everything that happened, he just kind of hunkered down in the woods. And eventually he did surrender himself. Mm -hmm. So now he's in custody. He's charged with the murders. Um, He's actually charged with a total of 10 felonies including three first-degree intentional homicide charges, mm-hmm. six counts of attempted first-degree murder, and one Good. count of sexual assault. Good. Yeah, so everything has been covered in these charges. Yeah. And I will I will let you know, I'm not going to draw out his trial or anything, um, but he was sentenced to life in prison and received a total of 295 years without the possibility of parole. Good. Good. Yeah. Throw the book at this so, man. He, he will be in prison for the rest of his life, for sure, at this point. Good. But, like, what really was his, his motive? Yeah. And he, he, he's, he's a talkative man, so he said oh, a lot of no. different things. Um, to my conclusion is there really wasn't one. Um, but he kind of said that he wanted to go, quote unquote, a bang. Wow. At times he mentioned that he wanted to die suicide by cop. At times Mm -hmm. he said that he wanted to spend the rest of his life in prison. Um, he -hmm. mentions during a police interview that he was using the teenagers as bait to get cops (gasps) around so he could start killing cops. Oh my God. Like. He kind of just says, I think, whatever comes up in his head and just yeah. blurt it out. Yeah. Yeah. To just anything that... But it doesn't even sound like he's justifying because he's like, I only killed these three people because I wanted to kill more people. Like... Oh, just wait. It, 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 <sighs> we only have a little tiny bit left in this case, but there's there's some couple big statements here that... that <laughs> you know, um. All right. He says during an interrogation, which I'll, I'll link a video to it because Associated Press did do a little clip of it, saying that mm-hmm. he deserves to be killed by a firing squad. He does. Now, but... Wisconsin doesn't have the death penalty, so he can't be. But mm, he's okay. like, yeah, I deserve it. Yeah, you do. But you're right. You're just going to sit here. <laughs> right, exactly. And in that same interrogation video... He mentions, he goes, my only power in this world is to take. Just take away. And then he just kind of shrugs. And at this point, he's referencing, like, my ability is to take the lives of these other people. That's what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. And even, even if it weren't something that dramatic, hearing somebody say my only purpose in this life is to take to take away, you know immediately, like, okay, this person is profoundly 
awful. Because yes. you all you want to exist to do is take other people's reasons for living, probably. I imagine all of these people may have had living parents. And even if they didn't, they have mm-hmm. living family members that you took them from. Because that's all you can do. Get to therapy, dude. Address that. And now I'm oh. glad you won't be able to. Well, yeah. <laughs> be ready for, for this next statement. Okay. He later compares the murders to spilling a glass of milk. <laughs> Sorry. I just had a sip of my drink. I heard the, the clink of the drink on the table. Yeah, because I slammed it right down. You can leave <laughs> all this in because that's how upset I am. Uh a glass of spilled milk. Yeah. And he's quoted saying, do you get upset about it? No, you just clean it up and get another glass. I might sound sick and sadistic and come off that way, but that's pretty much it. Oh, sir, you absolutely <laughs> come off as sick and sadistic. What oh, happened it's to you? to me. What happened to you? What is going on in your brain chemistry? So not enough to warrant any of this behavior. No. You know what it's enough to warrant is 295 years without the possibility of parole. Right. And with all of this, he also refused to give the apologies to the victims' families. I need a pillow to scream into. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> he, okay, yeah. go on. Go on. I'm sure it's worse. Uh, so, if asked if he ever would apologize, he said, um, I don't care what they think. Anyway, considering the act I did, an apology would just come off as weak, you know? What? Yeah, what? He, just, he doesn't want to look weak. I hope but this guy thing, gets. Uh, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say. I hope oh, no, this guy ahead. gets. I hope this guy gets his ass handed to him in jail. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. He is in a maximum security prison in Wisconsin. Um, so I, I don't know. He might. I don't know if he's. He might in, like, be general in general population or not. But yeah, he might be in SAG. Yeah, um, but one thing he says that he does feel a little bit of. of remorse over is the sexual assault because he betrayed her trust to assault her. Okay, well that's true, but that um, also should have come on the heels of an apology to the people who you murdered. Not to not to make sexual assault less than murder, but at least he's owning up to the fact that he betrayed her trust, not that he harmed her. He still deserves to give an apology to a hundred percent of these people. That's not enough for me. Well, you know what? You also betrayed the trust of a ton of teenagers who were just trying to have fun and see a man in the woods. Right. They didn't even know they needed to form a bond of trust with you, you piece of garbage. Like nobody owes you respect. Respect is earned. Yeah. I say this all the time. Respect is earned. Nobody owes you respect. And it sounds like this guy thought 
I, you know, like, I don't have their trust or their respect, so why not just use them as a pawn in mm -hmm. my rage over my situation? Yeah. But that's, that's the case today. That, that's what we're ending on, because we don't really have anything else. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I warned you ahead of time, but I no, knew that no, there, no. You just, there was no real preparing for this one. No, there was no way I wasn't going to uh, steam like a kettle for this one. <laughs> and I would, I would tell you if I had any final thoughts, but I feel like I interrupted you so much with my thoughts on the moment that I'm just still trying to take in. Wow. Well, there, there's no, like, it's hard to gather your thoughts in this case. Right. Right. It's so senseless. Like, I, I called my sister and I called my parents about this because I didn't remember it happening. As, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, neither did they. Wow. Um, and so I'm explaining to them. I went more into detail about the girl I went to college with who, uh -huh. who talked about this in a lot of detail in, in our class, yeah. um, which I, I don't feel comfortable doing here. Totally um, fair. And they were just blown away. And that was before I like dove into my research. I was just talking off of memory from like 10 plus years ago. Right. Well, and and just, I'm really... like, I, I only got like half the facts. My, my whole family was just like, there's no way this couldn't have happened like in Northern Wisconsin, the UP. I'm really no, glad. I'm really glad you brought this one today because even though I grew up in Ohio, Ohio is not that far from this place and i had never heard this no. i am glad that we're doing something other people might not be aware of that's a big reason i wanted to bring it forward because this is this is a true tragedy mm -hmm. like any of our cases that we bring forward are mm -hmm. without a doubt but it's just this was truly senseless egregious and, and his murderer just has he makes it so clear his lack of remorse. Yes. That it's just like, it makes me so angry because yeah, you that's, should have remorse. You should have, oh man, it wouldn't change anything. But hopefully during those 296 years you spend in the slammer, you start to learn the meaning of the word remorse, buddy. Mm -hmm. Like, how egregious to treat the victim's families like this after you've ruined their lives. These were just young kids. Yeah. They had so much ahead of them. Absolutely. Two of them were on their way to college. One of them was, you know, she hadn't even made it there yet, you know? Yeah, she was uh, about to enter her senior year of high school. So young. She didn't even get a chance to plan out her future, you know? And then these other two had future planning on the horizon. Like, and you destroyed all that and you don't give a crap and for that you deserve to spend the rest of your days learning how to give a crap and then thinking about it unfortunately i have absolutely no hope that he will ever have remorse for these crimes yeah yeah i i'm comforted only by the fact that he will be in the prison system until he dies that is the Agreed. only thing that yes. i'm comforted with and I'm I'm very, very, very slightly comforted with the fact that he turned himself in and he was caught quickly. 
because that could have gone in a very, very different direction. Yeah, and for the family's sake, at least they immediately knew who did this and they weren't in immediate danger anymore, even though they'd lost their teenager. Mm -hmm. But that is all that we have today. So thank you so much for listening to Have You Heard About This Case. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on Instagram at Have You Heard About This Case Pod or on TikTok at H-Y-H-A-T-C. Or you can email us at haveyouheardaboutthiscase at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll talk to you later. Bye!